friends, welcome. I'm Andrew Hicks, and you're listening to the Text and Context Podcast. Do not boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. You know, it's like a t-shirt that says that, and just walk around loud and proud with it. I've thought about doing that. Would anybody buy one if I did that? I, I think that'd be so cool. I'm going to try. I don't know how to do that. I need to talk to someone. I thought it'd be funny, right? Or like this right here, like, here I am, send me on the front and in the back. Go say to this people, keep listening, but do not understand. It would open conversation. Absolutely it would. Absolutely it would. Yes, or stickers. Oh, I need an artist to draw me a picture of a baby goat being boiled in its mother's milk. Oh. And, then, and then a big red thing through it, you know, the, the like, do not sign. Oh, oh that'll sell. Oh, fundraiser for the Bastrop Church of Christ. I'm just kidding. Oh, I do have an artist in the house. That's a good idea. We'll talk. I'll have my people talk to your people. Yes. Okay, so um, I, I think it's important that we remember the context of the quote and then the context of the quote in the gospel. So I, the Isaiah context, Isaiah chapter 6, and then how Jesus is using it. Because I think they're, they're related, okay? So I'm going to spend just a minute in Isaiah 6. Just... Just a touch, I know, out of Mark, but into Isaiah. Um, So I want you to, I just want you to glance through chapter six real quick. I'm not going to read the whole thing again. But really, this whole chapter, it's the call of Isaiah. It's his commissioning. Here I am, send me. God says, okay, go, say to this people. But notice at the very beginning, chapter six, verse one, in the year that King Uzziah died. Okay, here's why that's important. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. What do kings sit on? Thrones. Imagine how much turmoil, like if we had a president that died, you know, just suddenly. That would be tumultuous for a nation, right? Like whenever a president is assassinated, that's tumultuous. It's the same with a king. When your king dies, that's tumultuous. Like, yes, we'll have a successor, right? Like I've never been afraid like, oh, who are we going to appoint? No, of course not. We know who will come next, but... It's, it's the matter of, I mean, it's still just a, a matter of turbulence. It's everything's still up in the air. There's always those politicians grabbing for power. And it, it's, it's crazy. Same for this world. So you can imagine the, the, the fear that's in the heart of the people. And Isaiah says, well, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty. And the hem of his robe filled the temple, etc. He sees the, the seraphim. Um, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Um, and then down, Isaiah says, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh of hosts. So who's king? It's not Uzziah. It's God. So it's in that context that Isaiah is then called. So then one of the seraphs flies and holds the coal to his mouth. Also, side note, a singular is a seraph. Multiple are seraphim. So please don't say seraphims because seraphim is plural. Seraph is singular. So whenever people say seraphims, I'm like, oh, no. So you don't say geeses. You don't say geeses. That's right. Seraphim is plural. Seraph is singular. So a seraph flies and puts the thing. Bible nerd talk. I'm sorry. Uh, one of the seraphs flew to me. Rain it in. Rain it in. Uh, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, the seraph touched my mouth with it and said. So what did he touch 
what did the seraph touch the coal to? His mouth. Okay, over and over again, we keep saying, do you have ears, but you don't hear? Do you have eyes, but you don't see? Of course, if you're speaking, that's what you're going to hear. It's all about mouth, right? Now go say to this people, his mouth has been purified so that he can go say to the people, keep listening, do not comprehend. Okay, uh, your guilt has uh, departed and your sin is blotted out. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, pick me. Here am I, send me. And he said, go, say to this people. Then we get this really odd passage. And um, so on the one hand, I don't want to soften the blow of the passage. You know what I'm saying? I, I get nervous whenever people are like, well, here's what it says, but here's what it means. And I'm like, well, it seems pretty apparent what it means. The problem is what people do with what it means. You see what I'm saying? So I think he is saying, Keep listening, but do not comprehend. It's supposed to sound shocking. But rather than making excuses and saying something silly like a Calvinist, like, yes, God just hardened your heart so that you won't listen. He delights in damning you to hell. Like, thank you, Calvin. No thanks. Yeah, right? Um, instead of that, why don't we just say, yeah, it's shocking, maybe on purpose. Because sometimes you can overstate the case in order to then make people go, well, wait a minute. Because Isaiah automatically objects to it, right? Or at least he, he responds to it as if that's shocking. Verse 11, I said, well, how long, O Lord? Right? So you got to keep reading. So yeah, it's shocking. Keep, go preach it so that they won't listen. Jeremiah received a very similar commission. Look, Jeremiah, um, they're not going to listen. All right, go have a great ministry. They're not going to listen. That's what God tells them ahead of time. Now have fun. Isaiah gets a similar thing. Go tell them, but they're not going to listen. I'm telling you. Now, who's they? Israel broad, right? Are you telling me that not any one individual person ever responded? No, certainly they did. We have proof of that. The remnant of Israel that, that stays, and there are people who respond. Plus also, again, this comes back to um, God makes a definitive statement so that he can retract it. 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. Oh, good. Whew, you repented. All right, I didn't want to do that in the first place. You see what I'm saying? You people aren't going to listen. Well, we might. Oh, great. It's a rhetorical device, I think. I mean, God, he's the master of language. He created language. He spoke creation into existence. He is the master speaker. So, of course, he knows how to, how to work a crowd. How long, O Lord? And then he says, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate. What is he describing? Bondage, exile, the destruction of Jerusalem. That is, these people have driven me nuts over and over again, and I've given them time and time again. All right, destruction's coming. Here comes Babylon. Uh, the emptiness in the midst of the land. Even if a tenth part remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled. Okay, the last line in chapter 6. Do you see it? What does it say? The holy seed is its stump. So remember, this is about kingship, right? The year that King Uzziah died, then I lifted up my eyes and I saw the king, the Lord of hosts. And then yada, 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 well, the holy seed is its stump. It's going to get chopped down, but the stump is the holy seed. It's the, it's the king. But which king? Well, a king from the line of David, but you go, um, you go forward just a tad in Isaiah, and we start getting this talk about this coming, um, this coming king from the line of David. 
right? The holy seed from the, the stump of Jesse. Hmm. Okay. Now let's go back to Mark. Now let's go back to Mark. What's the thing with the cult? Is that really Yeah. Because <laughs> I would be like, yeah, send me. Oh, wait. Well, I got to do that? Okay. What are you going to do? Not so much. <laughs> but he gets the cult I mean, I guess it's it? purification, you know, but what is it? Yeah, he gets the cult and then says, here am I, send me. Oh, okay. Um, so it's, he, he's in despair, right? Because he says, I'm a... Man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts, Lord of glory. And then, um, because of that plea, there's a sanctification that comes from the cult. So it's an answer to his his cry of despair. I just can't imagine. Yeah, you're just like, ow. Yeah, like I eat a hot jalapeno, and I'm like, ow. Can't imagine a hot cult. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, here's a question. Is this... Is this a visionary experience? Right. So could that be necessary? Could that be like a visionary kind of phenomenon? I mean, or even if it is like a you know literal coal from a literal um, altar, it's not like our kind of altar or our kind of coal. Maybe it's of a different nature. You know, um, that's a good question. We see the we see the altar a lot. So like in Revelation, you have the saints that are at the altar, and they're saying, "How long, O Lord?" That's what they say whenever they're at the altar. Short answer, I don't know. Good question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's symbolic, right? I mean, we, we could delve into the symbolism, but I think at the least Does we can say it's symbolic. It's a burning coal. Here. All right, now I'm back in Isaiah. Dang it, David, I was trying to turn to Mark. Oh, thank you. Okay, I think it's burning. Let's see. good question you know it's funny in the old testament it's like you can't see the lord and then two verses later moses saw the lord and you're like so what does that mean it's interesting it's a good question and it's a very regular response to any kind of i've seen the lord what was me or the angel of the lord very and hebrews he's the very imprint of god's very nature yeah it's a good question so it's funny to me the best thing is whenever you see it says and yahweh said to them and then it says and then the angel of yahweh said to them and then yahweh said to them and then you're like which one is it and if you read really closely it's like switching back and forth well angel just means messenger is jesus not the messenger of yahweh Anybody could. I can be an angel. Yeah. I'm an angel. A messenger. Your mom said My mom always said I was a little angel. That's right. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, she changed her idea, though. She changed her idea. You know. You've met her. You know. You know. So, okay, I'm going back to Mark. <laughs> In Mark, then, he's quoting just this little snippet that they may indeed look but not perceive and indeed may listen but not understand so that they may not turn and be forgiven. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? This is so that they won't understand. Don't you understand? <laughs> so here's another um, thing that I had thought of. I think it's a provocative way of calling to attention and repentance, right? Like I said, naturally, whenever I say, you're not going to listen. Well, I just might. Or whenever I say, don't think of an elephant, what do you naturally start thinking of? An elephant. 
whenever I say, um, exactly. Uh, I always heard about the salesman that says, you're really not going to be interested in this, but you have to say my spiel. Have you seen the new progressive commercial? Yes, I was just about to Yes, okay, so. Okay, I'm in. Yes. So she's trying to sell insurance and, and the lady's like, I'm just not sure I'm interested. She's like, I know who would want to save money, right? Like take a vacation to Aurora boring, Aurora boring. And the lady's like, I'm in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like reverse psychology kind of thing. It, it's, it's really not reverse psychology. It's direct psychology. That's the way our brains work. Right. Um, there's something in us that wants to get it right. I want to hear, I want to understand. I do. And the problem is whenever I think I've already understood, then I don't. But then whenever you get that, that, call it a rebuke if you want, you're not understanding. Well, yes, I am. Okay, great. And, and you've, you've drawn in some. There was a, a, a quote that I heard recently, something to the effect of, leaders are those who make a definitive choice by whom others either decide to join or to not join, to agree or disagree. By making a definitive statement, now there has something that has been said and then now you can either join or not join. But once, and until there's something definitive, there's nothing to do. It's just all up in the air. But by making a definitive statement, 40 days in Nineveh will be overturned. No, please. Oh, great. And, and so by making a definitive statement, you now have a point of reference by which to operate. You could think of it that way. And also, I mean, it fits the context if you keep reading. So it's really not that it's, um, it's really not that it's, uh, so that they won't ever understand. I don't want you to understand anything. That's ridiculous. Why would he tell them, I don't want you to understand? He's explaining it to them. He's explaining that I don't want you to understand. Which means, I want you to understand. <laughs> and, then, and then Jesus says, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? Um, and so then that gets into our next little section. So um, always, great piece of advice. What do you do when something in the text seems strange or odd or you can't figure it out? Keep reading. Oh my word, the headings are not inspired unless you're in the Psalms of Ascents, and then they are. But otherwise, they're not inspired. So that's from the NRSV or the NIV or whatever translation. That's from them. Keep reading. Mark intended us to keep reading, right? Uh, Somebody said to me this week, you know, the Bible is one of the only books that we pick and choose places where we read. We don't just read a book in the Bible. Like, so any, any one little passage in Mark only makes sense given Mark. So you have to keep reading, right? One little passage in Romans, okay, you can toss that out all day, but unless you read Romans, it doesn't make any sense. All right, so let's keep reading. Um, 13 through 20. Um, I'm going to read it. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? And so now he's going to give the explanation of the sower, uh, parable of the sower. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan immediately comes and takes it away, takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the, the word, they immediately receive it with joy but they have no root and endure only for a while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. 
and others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Okay. There was a lot of repetition. There were at least two or three words that are repeated multiple times and seem important. What words are important there? These are the ones. And these are the ones. Yeah, that little phrase is, is used over and over. Good. Sown, of course. Others, others, and others. What word is used over and over again? <laughs> word, right? They sown the word. The, the seed is the word. The sower sows the word. Um, and then there was one other one. Oh, immediately. You get three uses of Mark's favorite word. Right there. Immediately it does this. Immediately it does this, of course. Which is uh, connecting it deeper to everything else he said thus far. Um, okay. So I have questions. I don't know. I'm just a young preacher. I don't know the answer to things. So you enlighten me. But I'm just curious as I read this. So, okay. Jesus is given the explanation of the sower uh, parable of the sower, right? But I have questions. So the sower sows the word, right? So the seed seems to be what? What is the seed? The word. Okay. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown when they hear... The word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky soil, rocky ground. So notice in verse 14, it sounds like the seed is the word. But then as you keep reading, it sounds like something else is the word. Or something else is the seed. And then the word is the response from the soil. Did you catch that? These are the ones sown on rocky ground. And when they hear the word, I guess the seed. But also it seems as if the seed is more than the word. Just look at the passage for a sec. It seems like. The seed is more than the word. Okay, more on that in a sec. Um, and then, uh, who's hearing this? Who's listening to this parable right now? Or this explanation of the parable? The disciples, right? The disciples. The 12 with the disciples, yeah. Which is just like a broader group. Okay. So who are they then? Because I've always assumed that whenever Jesus explains it, he's saying, well, and then they, and he means the people he's talking to, but it seems like they are somebody other than the people he's talking to. And he seems to be talking to the disciples. Huh? The seed was sown into people. Yeah. So the soil, the people. Then they kind of become the... They become whoever might receive this. Okay. Good. So I'm just curious. You keep reading. So like look down at verse 33. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. So the disciples are not to them. But then, if you go to chapter 6, whenever Jesus sends the 12 out, there's this curious little phrase where he says, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Sounds like, well, some places are going to be favorable to hear what you have to say and some places won't. Wait, where have we gone? I skipped over to chapter 6 for the sending of the 12, okay. 6, 10. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on. As they hear you, hear, so they're speaking words, probably speaking the word. Um, okay, 
So on here you're saying the hearers seem to be the seed. What you mean by that is the hearers seem to be the crop, right? I think so. I think the seed doesn't seem to change its nature. No, the seed doesn't. I think, so, you know, the sower, I think, is Jesus, and he's tossing out the seed, right? I think he's also sending out his messengers, and I think there's a play on this later in chapter 6 whenever he's sending out his 12, and he's like, yeah, you're going to go send the word, and sometimes they're going to receive it, and sometimes they won't. Right, right. I mean, So it's the word, but it's also the messengers of the word. You can't separate the message from the method. We carry the word in us, right? Okay, the I'm, seed is the word, but also we're being sown into places where hopefully we get a response. Interesting. Okay, so or at you're least the disciples. The seed is the seed. You're I'm not sure that that's. I'd say the sower is anybody who's spreading the word, and the seed is the representation of how the word enters individuals' hearts. It, it's the word itself, but it's also the way it exhibits itself in people. Sure. It's, it's, it's multifaceted, right? And Jesus can take the same image that he's used and then play up on it later, which I think he does. Um, Paul absolutely. In uh, 1 Corinthians, that the word of the cross was foolishness to those that didn't believe. We always have a choice to have, and I don't know how, why or how, but a mind that will listen to spiritual things in a spiritual way or just take the world's word uh, because Paul was talking about uh, the fact that the the highly intelligent and those that were the educated and whatever in his day uh, weren't good subjects for this you know, or at least many times yeah. yeah. They were the ones on the path. Yeah. Hmm. It's kind of also a That's message good. to say you're not supposed to worry about necessarily the response. You're supposed to just keep doing this. Hence Isaiah. Yes. And, and you know, you're not watering, you're not multiplying, you're sowing, and don't be discouraged. If not, everybody doesn't rush to the same conclusion you did. Yeah. And I think that's that's a call for us today because sometimes you, it's hard to share because you don't feel like people will value the word like you did. And so you think, oh, you know, they're not going to, you know, they... Yeah, they're not going to listen. They're not going to think this is valuable. This is not... You know, for them, you know, and, then, and that's like, no, no. And so then we say, well, we won't do it. And God says, no, you're right. They won't listen. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And he's like, don't, don't be concerned with, just like, just as a farmer is not concerned with, he's, he's not, he's not going to not sow because he thinks, well, some of it's going to fall on the path. Some of it, so I'm not going to do it, any of it. You know, mm. it, it's a message, I think, for us to, to just keep sowing. And not yeah. feel responsible or not feel like it's up to you what happens after that. Yeah. My uh, yeah. Josh Hickman, um, he's teaching, uh, so he homeschools his kids and he's going through the Gospel of Mark with his kids on in the morning for Bible study. 
So I was like, I love Mark. And he said, I know. So I went over and got to teach a, a class with him one day. And he was, he had just finished this section. And he said a little phrase as he was expounding. He said, great reward requires great risk. For great reward, there's always great risk involved. There's risk that some of it's just going to go to waste. It's going to fall on deaf ears. They're not going to listen. They're not going to care. But that's just part and parcel of it. Great reward comes with great risk. And, and in fact, you know, of all the seed he sows, a lot of it goes to waste. And finally, some of it finds good soil. It's, it's at the, the last part of it. Yeah. Isaiah, go preach, but nobody's going to listen. So we need to be scarecrows. Oh, I just got a sermon idea. We are the scarecrows of the gospel. Get away, Satan! Oh. No, I, that's, that's good. Francie. Yeah, you're getting to the, the next part. Yep. Yeah, it's going to happen. So, and I think of, you know, you're... Now, at this point, we're just chasing down agricultural imagery everywhere. But, like, you know, you go to, like, where Jesus or uh, Paul says, uh, we can water and we can give it all we've got, but ultimately God gives the increase. He makes it grow. And I keep thinking of this little phrase. Um, in the early church, they used to say the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Yeah, that was a phrase. I think... Blood of the martyrs is this because they just keep dying, but then they watch the way that they die, and then they're like, "Something to this." The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So, like, they're killing this Christian who's dying, being burned alive, or I don't know. There was all sorts of fun ways, and uh, he's praying blessings over them. He's praying for their forgiveness. He's usually praying Jesus' words, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Or he's singing a hymn. And they're like, what's wrong with these people? And it, it sparks their curiosity. And um, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes we're going to die trying and the message is so embedded in who we are that, yeah, they didn't listen to my words, but maybe they'll listen to something else. Who was it that said they were pressuring somebody to... To go after the Christians, or to go after, I guess it was Paul, and, and the, it, wasn't it, was, it was like, just leave it alone, and if it's of God, it will. Yeah, in Acts. It, it, yeah, it was um, Gamaliel. Gamaliel, yeah. yeah. And, it, and that's a that's something I look at and I'm like, yeah, it did. How did it come out? So, mm. All right, stop. This is getting into my sermon a little oh, okay. bit. This is starting to get into themes of my sermon. Let's just stop right there. No, no, you're right. I, I mean, it's like Nebuchadnezzar. Who would know the name Nebuchadnezzar if it didn't relate to Israel, who's the only people that we actually remember? Right. Like, like the Ammonites. You would not know of the existence of the Ammonites if we weren't studying Israel from the Old Testament. Like, there's no reason. And, and at the time, some of these other places seemed so mighty and strong, and they're like, those scrawny little Israelites, they'll never make it. Uh-huh. <laughs> those silly Christians, they'll never make it. Yeah. 
Yeah, we wouldn't remember Herod. And Herod was like, oh gosh, the Herod family. Yeah. They are like, oh, they're a good family. They're so amazing. Yeah. Well, is that what yeah. people said? I feel like they were still, even back then, they were probably like, this incestuous bunch well, of <laughs> we st- we're still obsessed over uh, uh, scandals with the celebrities. Some, some people were obsessed with it. Nah, you I could mean, get it on the tabloid news in the market, you know. Yeah. The Jerusalem Herald. The Mediterranean Inquirer. <laughs> out there. Um, okay, so uh, all of these are connected, so I don't want to dwell too long on one section. I want to keep going because all these little parables are, they're all connected, right? So um, the next section here, 21, he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under the bushel basket or under the bed and not on the lampstand? For there's nothing hidden except to be disclosed. So he's being secretive in order to disclose, right? There's nothing uh, hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given you. For to those who have, more will be given. And from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Okay. Word of the Lord. Um, there's a little picture of a lamp. Got that for you. Lamps from the ancient world. Uh, so apparently the only reason he's being secretive is so that people will know things. You know, sometimes the best way to get information spread is to be secretive. Hey, don't tell nobody. Why is it that in high school I could say, hey, I have a crush on Sydney, but shh, it's just between us, man. Don't tell anybody. And by the next period, somebody, Sydney walks up to me and says, I heard you have a crush on me. I told them not to tell anybody. And then he told somebody else. And what did he say to the next guy he told? Don't tell anybody. Yeah. Secrets have that way. Um... It's a lamp brought in to be put on. It's a lamp. It's this burning message. It's a light. The light naturally illuminates. The, the illumination's going out. And uh, somebody said the other day, uh, well, we put lamps under baskets. I was like, no, we don't. He said, yeah. We're talking about the lampshade. And I was like, well, okay, that's quite different. Our, our lights are quite a bit brighter and bolder than their lights were, so much so that we need to dull it down and funnel it to a direction. Theirs, they were lucky to get you know, enough to read by, right? Like, so a little different. Not quite the same. It, it was okay, but you know, not quite as bright as ours. So it's, it's more like putting it under a basket, like a full, so a bushel basket, like the, the big round basket that they put the, the bushels in, the, the sheaves in. Um, there's nothing hidden except to be disclosed. It's only hidden to be found. Uh, God loves a good game of holy hide and seek, I'm telling you. And I really think that at times God removes his presence so that you'll seek a deeper experience of it and not become complacent with the level that you've found thus far. I really think so. I have been through periods in my life where I'm like, it's just so dry. But I actually think that's a grace of God because I think he said, don't become complacent with 30%. We can go for a full 40. And he goes on a hide and seek. And also I think there's something of God to be found in everything. And he, he, Nothing is hidden except to be disclosed um let anyone with ears to hear listen pay it okay so then there's this last part here which is interesting oh actually i wanted to say something about the so you guys are familiar with habitat for humanity i'm given to understand that what they do often to entice college kids to give up their summer and go build and work all summer in the laborious heat with minimal pay (laughs) 
and there's something good to put on the resume. The way they entice them is hilarious. They actually go to these colleges, and I'm given to understand that they, they basically, this is their sales pitch. Something like, all right, uh, we're looking for people for Habitat for Humanity. You don't want this job. It's a terrible job. All summer long, you're going to be working hard in the heat. It's going to be miserable. It's going to be terrible. You're going to be exhausted. By the time you get off work, you're not going to want to do anything else except go crash sleep and then get up and do it again tomorrow. Some of these people, we're going to build them a house and they won't even say thank you. It's terrible. It's miserable. You don't want to do it and the pay is minimal. All right, if you're interested, come talk to us afterwards. And the people flock to the front. And you're like, no, that's not how I would have pitched it. Uh, yes, it is. That's the right word. It's a challenge. It's work, hard work at work worth doing. And people, I think, I think the college kids respond to that because they're like, great, it's not fluff. They're not trying to just, you know. It's like um, a dare. I dare you. And then you have to do it. And then you have to do it. Yeah. Well, you're not going to listen. Well, I might. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I double dog dare you. I, I almost feel like this is, a, this is a challenge. I double dog dare you. You're not going to listen. You're not going to repent. Well, I could. Yeah. That one. Do you think Satan thought God would give up his son to save us? I don't know. Not that there was necessarily a challenge, but uh, our God is the only God who ever gave up anything for us. Other gods that people worshipped didn't give up anything for them. <laughs> Especially such a horrific, awful, gruesome, ugly death. They, the number one thing Christians got made fun of was, oh, here's your crucified God. Yeah. What an absurd thing to say. Our God was crucified. What an absurd thing to say. Scandal. Uh, I don't know. Satan strikes me as rather stupid, so I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know that... I, I, I don't know. I don't think we can know what Satan, Satan's mind. I don't want to know either. So. But, but you're right. Who would have ever thought? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. It's just unimaginable. It is. It's what makes it such a great sign of life. Even more than unimaginable. It's absurd. Yeah, it's, really it's scandalous. Hell is not offensive. Grace is offensive. Evil's not outrageous. Love is outrageous. Love is far scarier than uh, anger and violence. Anger, violence, we got that down. Love? Jonah was terrified by God's love and mercy, yeah. not his anger. He was good with God's anger and vengeance. He's like, Sodom and Gomorrah 2.0, let's go. Yes, rain it down, Lord. Uh, the love and mercy, that's the part that got him. That's the part that got him. I was just reading, so uh, there's a book that John Eason is like all about, uh, the ragamuffin gospel. Have you heard of this before? Brennan Manning, something like that. Uh, but I, I started reading it. I found a copy at the take a book, leave a book in front of the Episcopal church. So I took it. Um, I didn't leave one. I plan to go back. Uh, that's not the point. Uh, but I was reading it this morning and he said, you know, I have a feeling that the kind of people Jesus wants to hang out with, if he and his group showed up at church today, most of them would be like, oh, sorry, we don't welcome your kind here. Um, his love and mercy is scandalous. Scandalous, scandalous. Well, uh, that got down the rabbit hole in a good way. Um, but I'm going to come back to the second part of this little section. The thing that sounds like something from the Sermon on the Mount, but is not the Sermon on the Mount because it's in Mark. Uh, we'll talk about that next week. 
Um, thank you very much for coming. Um, Oren, will you close us in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that uh, we display hearts to you and minds that strive to hear and believe and do what you say. We just love you. We know that there is no other that we can lay our crowns down before. Thank you for Andrew guiding us this morning and bless all those here here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Text and Context podcast. If you're interested in some other great content, then you can go over to my website. It's txtandcontxt.com. It's Text and Context without E's in it. So again, that's txt. A-N-D-C-O-N-T-X-T dot com. Head on over there and check out a bunch of free resources and plenty of articles about a wide range of topics as well as book reviews and plenty more. Thank you for listening.